This is Central Control Room. Stand by. Good evening, ladies and germs. We're hey, about Tim, to give you Tim, what? What? Before you start talking, I need to censor what you're going to say because, uh oh, just in case you say something that's offensive to the audience. <laughs> okay. What do, so I need to heavily censor you. What I need from you is to write down everything you're about to say on this whole show. Okay. Hand it in so I can look at it and then send it back to you with any edits that I might find. Oh, okay, okay. Because, welcome to Transmissions from the Forbidden Planet. Ooh. I am your humble host, Timothy. I'm Derek. Today's topic of discussion... Yes. ...is a pertinent one. Hmm. How does it apply? Does it does it somehow apply to today in some way? Yeah. Government stuff and, you know, fucking with your lives. Uh, th- this episode's going to be kind of related to that because we're going to be talking about... Uh, overall censorship, the Hayes Code, and McCarthyism. Ooh. Mm. Like Charlie McCarthy, that little puppet was scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, not that one. No. Senator Joseph McCarthy. What a dick. Yeah. Anyway. Good night and good luck to that guy. Well, no way, Jose. <laughs> not from me, he doesn't get it. <laughs> When you think about classic movies, black and white stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You tend to think about, like, uh, there's no toilets in there, and uh, there's uh, women don't, men and women don't sleep in the same bed, and... Even if you're married. Right. You don't even, you don't even hold hands if you're not married. There's, uh, you know, lots of singing and dancing, and... uh, Kissing, but no sexual stuff in the Ooh. in those old uh, fun black and white films. Unless, mm-hmm. and this is where the story goes. We go before a certain period, you know. Back before, there were rules. <laughs> yeah, there was no rules. <laughs> yeah, like the silent film era and all that stuff was pretty much unregulated for the most part, huh? Right. It was pretty much if you had a camera and you were able to get enough funds to put someone in front of it and make something I mean this is of course after that period of the silent film era where it was just a guy shooting a gun at the camera or a train coming at the camera right (laughs) you know those were the early experimental times of just people seeing things and people you know there's those stories of people when the gun was firing or a train was coming and people were getting up to try to get out of the way and stuff like that right they didn't understand this strange technology they were just a caveman (laughs) right right yeah that silent film era we'll say is about 1894 to 1929 right and then talkies start taking over after 1929 right and um like i said there's sex and there's violence and not not necessarily like penetrative sex it's not like the debauchery of the 70s and until now but but it's not 
left to your imagination either. Right. And there's there's alcohol use and there's drug use and all that stuff in these these old movies. Right. Women were very scantily clad in the mm-hmm. films. You know, we we talked at once about King Kong and how Fay Ray and that was. Right. You know, it's it's weird to look back on that and see how she was dressed in that because you're just like, how they get away with this back then? You know. But right. the, the reason they got away with it because movies were like, we own, we own this place, so we can do whatever we want. Right. 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 Yeah. Art kind of typically in America falls under, you know, the free speech thing, right? Right. And uh, so I guess that's where a lot of these movie directors and and filmmakers were coming from when they're like, let's just do whatever the fuck we want. Right. Because this is my expression and my freedom or my... art. But in 1915, you know, two-thirds of the way through this silent film era, uh, the Supreme Court had uh, decided unanimously Mm -hmm. in uh, the case of uh, Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio (laughs) that free speech actually does not extend to motion pictures. Those dirty, dirty bastards. Sons of bitches. And and that's kind of going to set up a lot of the uh, kind of oppressive bullshit that comes down the road and really kind of changes Hollywood forever. It starts to, anyway, because things have to get worse before what they feel needs improvement right right exactly so that's just the uh, snowball at the top of the hill before it yeah. starts really getting some traction to it and rolling down the hill and of course with all of that stuff that you're talking about as silent films bleed into the 20s what what's going on on screen is even worse <laughs> off screen there's all kinds of debauchery and stuff right. you give you know you give anyone in any particular job or yeah. uh, career a lot of money and power yeah. There's going to be some shady shit going on. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Because we got to figure, too, the 1920s is the time of prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. And and when you have prohibition, the constitutional amendment to al- uh, ban alcohol, what does that do that gives gangsters and uh, crime lords and all this stuff, like, all this power to make money off of yep. alcohol and all that stuff? And... and all these other people wanting to just, you know, break the law in order to let loose and have a good time. Right. Supply and demand, man. Right. Plus, this is a pretty unregulated financial time period, too, where, you know, there's a lot of boom and bust happening. There's a lot of money to be spent. Yeah. And so the people who are doing well, because you got to think about it, too. You know, coming from my whole uh, car guy world, this right. is this is a time period of grandiose vehicles. Uh, right. Like in Europe, what is considered the most obnoxious, grandiose car today is a Bugatti. And in the 1920s, <laughs> that's where that car comes from. It comes from France in the 1920s, and they were very fucking expensive and very high tech for their time. Also, in America, to to uh, rival that is the Duesenberg. And right. The Duesenberg was a car, you know, in the 1920s that cost twenty five thousand dollars. When a house costs like a couple thousand dollars, no, a house would call like cost like a, you know, Ooh, half of holy. that. Yeah, a Duesenberg would cost you know double that. So only the richest of the rich and. The, the economy, the unregulated economy of the time uh, provided stuff like that and also, you know, was also boistered by this um, illegal activity and the rise of the mafia, you know? Jeez, man. I mean, you yeah. got to think, too, that uh, all the money that's going out in all of these places, these uh, little underhanded places, and as you said, crime lord stuff like that, mm-hmm. well, there's the same types 
involved in some of these silent film things too because if you look in certain parts of history too with the silent film stuff there's a lot of little stag films that they, yeah. they did back then mm-hmm. you know and I'm not just talking about oh naked woman posing or this or that. Yeah. there was that but there was also porn basically yeah yeah that's pretty crazy so think uh the gatsby right yeah, gatsby's gatsby, kind of because right. that book was written in that time period f, right. f scott fitzgerald is what is the guy who writes that book in the 1920s blah 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 about the roaring 20s and and, and it's about the excess yeah it's this guy exactly. basically with his view on things using his art form pointing at all of this hey look at what we're capable of as these mm-hmm. people who get way too much money and way too much power look what happens to them right and in in that story he gains all of his incredible wealth through illegal means right you know, he's yeah he's, he's doing criminal stuff great himself. we just spoiled it <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that's kind of like if we're trying to make parallels to today, to today there is a lot of parallels to the 1920s to today. It's because oh, yeah. it's this kind of, uh, like I said, unregulated uh, finances and all this stuff's creating boom and busts, all this. And uh, there's a certain amount of people that are getting stupid rich. Yep. And the rest are dirt fucking poor in the sharecropper thing and all that crap, you know. Right. Basically, that's kind of where we're heading to with, like, the housing being so expensive now that right. you can only afford to rent. And rent prices are quadruple what they were 10 years ago. You right. know what I mean? So, yeah. And we have all these, like, billionaire heroes today. I'm Batman. Also, like that, too, you know, back then there was a lot of young bucks making uh, obscene amount of money back then and was excessive spending like mm-hmm. kind of like what we were just talking about the great gatsby and stuff like that these days right. the same things has happened with bitcoin yes. and people on the internet making yeah. all of these billions of dollars with you know very you're super young you go out there and you buy a hundred million dollar house and, and tons of cars and everything mm-hmm. and then what they don't factor in is eventually that's going to end up wealth is going to start coming down a bit they're going to be paying all that property yeah. tax and everything and then they end up yeah. back at square one with the you know it's just it's one of those <laughs> you know snake eating his tail kind of thing and so so a bunch of scandals in the 1920s uh in the film industry all the conservative folk of the time period start getting on their uh what do you call it their cuckles all in a roll (laughs) i just totally made that expression (laughs) up but they uh they start getting all you know there's a lot of crazy shit happening in the in the movie industry in the 1920s off the screen as well as on the screen what we were just basically talking about too much money and power ends up affecting these people so you have a big star it's making a lot of money not just for the stars making a lot of money for whatever he's signed to whatever you know, if he signed the Paramount Pictures or Universal or wh- whoever he signed with makes tons of money off of this guy. So what do you do? You protect your investment. Right. So if there is scandals here and there that they can cover up, they're going to do it. Drunk driving, hits a car, maybe slaps someone, does something wrong, you know, all of this stuff. When it goes too far, though, is what happens with Fatty Arbuckle. He's one of the biggest stars of the time, making tons of money for the company. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up being charged with rape and murder of a woman. Mm-hmm. He denies it. And it's this ongoing trial process that ends up going on for years. I think he's found guilty in one, has a mistrial in another, and then ends up being finally found innocent due to a lot of different things coming into it, whether it's good or bad, true or not. His His career career is ruined. ruined. No matter whatever happens. Also, what happens is that immediately when it goes from rape that they can't cover up to rape and murder, then the company does the okay, we're going to distance ourselves. We're not going to show any. All the theaters are owned by the companies back then. They don't 
don't want to play any of his films. All of a sudden, everyone, you right. know, so it becomes this thing. And then the moral people that have been preaching to, hey, you need to make these films. Now they have their poster boy to blame and say, look how immoral things are. Right. So it causes nothing but a lot of issues for the companies to at that time if they're having to self-regulate and they keep having these scandals happen they have no choice but to be like okay we're getting so dogged down by all of these moral police coming after us we have to show now that we're doing it instead of just saying that we're doing it right and if you want a good example of uh this not necessarily on film but on tv uh if you go to hbo's version of the Perry Mason series. Right. In the first couple episodes of the first season, he's basically a PI for one of these motion picture companies at the time. Right. And it shows exactly what yep. we're talking about and in, in, in a fictional format, but uh, it's it's very well done and right. it's beautiful. Yeah. And even, I mean, two interesting movies to look at that look up about, and especially as time moves on in Hollywood and these moral restrictions start coming into play but tighter tighter yeah, yeah you, you really start to see certain things uh, hit in, uh, with certain representations in films and a movie like Hollywood Land that really shows that and then mm -hmm. even the Coens kind of parody it uh, a bit in um, uh, Hail Caesar any more thoughts about who you might marry <laughs> I ain't doing that again I had two marriages it just cost the studio a lot of money to bust them up well, we had to have those annulled. One was to a minor mob figure. Vince was not minor. And Buddy Flynn was a band leader with a long history of narcotic use. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were both louses. Marrying a third louse ain't gonna do me no good. I've offered you some very suitable, clean young men. Pretty boys, saps and swishes. What, you think if there wasn't a, a good, reliable man, I wouldn't have grabbed him? What about Arn Seslam? He is the father, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. A marriage doesn't have to last forever, but, but Deanna, having a child without a father would present a public relations problem for the studio. The aquatic pictures do very nicely for us. So you go and strap on a fish ass and marry Arnie Seslin. The pictures do well for all of us, and it's a tribute to you. The public loves you because they know how innocent you are. That's true. Let me see if Arn is open to matrimony, yeah. You sure he's the father? Yeah, yeah, absolutely he's the father, yes. Pretty sure. Yeah, so, I mean, having said that, we have this guy, uh, William H. Hayes, uh, who was a Republican uh, uh, Party uh, organizer, and, uh, you know, he, he I think he helped to campaign for some people right. in the Republican organization back in other days. He basically retired from all that uh, political stuff to become the chairman of the MPPDA. Uh, that was in January of 1922. Mm -hmm. And the MPPDA yes. is the Motion Pictures Producers and Distributors of America. Yes. That's that's what that is, right? So right. he becomes the, um, the chairman of that in 1922. And I think him being kind of a conservative dude, it's the idea is to start, how do we start reining this shit in? You know, right. and that starts way back in 22, but really doesn't take any stronghold until later on. And one of the things, too, is when he gets in there, he does take it seriously, he tries to make up this moral code that yeah, right. the, the motion picture companies need to follow by. And basically what the motion picture companies is, are saying at that time is, eh, we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need you. We're selling tickets, right? Thanks for your code. We'll keep it right here. Thanks, bye. So we're going to bring up another name real quick. He'll play right. a part later on, but just to kind of give you a little background on this guy so when you hear it later, you'll understand. So... This is a guy named uh, Joseph I. Breen, and, and, and in 1926, this guy was a publicity director of the 28th International Eucharistic Congress in Chicago, right? Right. 
and uh, and he was also like a, a bit of a conservative journalist before that too. Right. Uh, so, so he knows how to spin a story. Right. Right. Remember that name, Joseph Ibreen. It'll come up in a little bit, in about another 10 years or so. Right. Maybe less. But this is all kind of le- heading towards a certain direction. And this conservative mentality has people who, who speak up and are trying to make a fuss and all that stuff. And we have, we have these two guys, right? One is uh, Father Daniel Lord, and the other guy is Martin Quigley, right? All right. These guys are like devout Catholics. Obviously, the Father Daniel is a priest, and uh, what they they end up taking things into their own hands in a way for you know with the, with the Catholic Church's morals in hand, and they write down what they call the Motion Picture Production Code in 1929, right in 1929, and the shit's about to hit the fan, obviously in America in 1929, but. Um, these guys are trying to rein in, you know, basically get the ball rolling on, on, on um, just bring some decency to these goddamn <laughs> filmmakers. And, <laughs> and one thing to note, too, is, you know, they're, they're in hand holding the Catholicism card. And yeah. Catholicism back then was yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah, there's still that kind of like, in America... <laughs> Not unlike the UK, or, or I should say the Great Britain as a whole, there's the whole Protestant Catholic thing, right? Right. So uh, America was founded by the Protestants, and then a lot of Catholics came later on. So there's still that kind of friction between those two. But, right. you know, and when it comes to moral shit, I feel like a lot of people were willing to follow suit on what the Catholics right. felt bad. Especially coming off of the, the debauchery of the 20s, the roaring 20s, as we call it. Of course. Yeah. And these two, as you said, are coming in at the end of the 20s in 1929. So, Well, and also in 1929, of course, is the giant stock market crash, the Wall Street crash. and and uh, Yeah. Uh, I, that could be coming, you know, within the next few weeks here. <laughs> In, in America, well, well, when this long after this episode or long before this episode gets released, but um, anyway, so as we know, we've talked about in other episodes that kind of oh, yeah. involved in the 1930s that the Great Depression hits, right? And obviously, you know, the, the stock market crashes, dudes jumping out of windows because right. they can't, you know, all this shit. Yeah. And, and uh, to quote Marty McFly, shit gets heavy. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Shit gets heavy. Yeah. Duesenberg sales go way down, <laughs> as, as you can imagine. I wonder why. They're very reasonable. <laughs> they do end up making them all the way until like the, you know, like 38 or so. But wow. anyway, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like one a year or two a year or something like that. But <laughs> That's all um, it keeps to keep the shop open. That's all. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Studios are also strapped. Yeah. You know, they're feeling the pinch because the banks aren't wanting to loan the money and all this because there's no money to loan, right? The, of course. And then people are poor. <laughs> right. So right, like, right. do I want to go to the movie or do I want to have some bread tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do they do, though? Right. This this whole moral code thing. Right. You know, these guys are trying to these these two dudes are trying to make this code. And, and the movie producers are like, we need to sell tickets more than ever. What sells yeah. tickets? Debauchery. Right. We're going to make more films with gang. And this is that rise of the gangster films. Right. You know, like James Cagney becomes a big hero. And right. You know, Ro- J- Edward G. Robinson and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, and then some scandalous shit, too. The drinking yeah. and all that shit. So. It actually the films continue on into yeah. the early parts of the depression, right? Because people don't want to 
think about real life. They want to. They want escapism. Yeah. Right. They want escapism. You're right. Yeah. And and it works. Yeah. Because yeah. because t- ticket sales do maintain. People do go to the movies. Yep. And I think I, the film industry's doing okay. Right. You know, g- comparatively to the other industries in America at the time. Because of this, right? So yeah, I mean, you look at those gangster pictures from nineteen, like thirty up to probably about thirty-six. Mm-hmm. And there's some violent stuff in them. I mean, there's suggested violence yeah, in, in a right. lot of stuff, and you can see people get shot on the street and stuff. You're not seeing blood pour out of their body or anything no. like that. But it is violent, especially at that time. Yeah, cars flipping over and yeah. getting shot up and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Right. Like we said, you know, so Fay Ray, that this is that time period of, of King King Kong, right? <laughs> Nineteen thirty-three is—it's yeah. one of a big blockbuster of that year, and uh, you know that kind of goes full circle to our, our big monsters episode. Right. And you got the Roman Catholic National uh, Legion of Decency was founded. They are founded, and they begin to to rate films independently. By doing that, they they publish lists of films of their own ratings and morality and stuff like that. So you have like right. moral A is morally unobjectionable and then uh, B is morally uh, objectionable in part. Right. So right. kind of saying in the right. middle there, yeah. PG-13, if you will. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. And then C is condemned <laughs> to <laughs> dun, hell. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> the Pope forbades you. <laughs> I mean, a name like the Legion of Decency, <laughs> I'd say they have the high ground. <laughs> right. It sounds like something the Super Friends should take care of. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Right. Sounds like a movie that uh, Sean Connery would quit <laughs> doing films from because he was so embarrassed by it. LXG, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But, uh, yes, and they also create a pledge that uh, uh, Catholic parishioners would repeat in church, mm-hmm. saying that they would not see movies condemned by the church. So, I mean, it, they're really sinking this into their parishioners. So. Yeah, right. And I feel like a lot of their high ground, why they feel they have the high ground, like I said earlier, right. on all of this is because of the shambles that the country is in and basically like what we were saying earlier they're saying look at how crazy and unregulated shit was in the 1920s and look at where it got us today right it works because people are desperate and they're going to church right and and especially catholics right basically the catholic church telling them what they can and can't see right so in a way it's kind of like a a a censorship one removed you know right exactly Kind of like, um, you know, medieval times, how the Pope was basically in charge of every kingdom in Europe. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, uh, he, he got to tell the kings what they can and can't do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and as a result of this coding, uh, uh, you know, it sets a moral standard and it also, the church continues to put pressure Going back to our our buddy here, William H. Hayes here. Yeah, do you remember that, kids? Did you write that down? We told <laughs> we you. We told you about him. He's <laughs> he's getting a lot of heat from the church, and he, it kind of forces him into creating what his own version for the MPPDA, the right. PCA, right? Right. What is the PCA, Derek? Production Code Administration. So this is that famous code, like we were making fun of at the beginning of the episode, where they 
come up with all these fucking rules and guidelines of what's allowed and what isn't allowed. And right. uh, it basically comes out right around here. But it, because he had loose rules before that, they weren't being followed. We needed an enforcer, right? Right. So Hayes basically hires our buddy that, again, from earlier, Joseph I. Breen, and puts right. him in charge of the PCA. He's just like, look, I got a lot on my plate. They didn't like the rules I made, so yeah. you go do this thing. You deal right, with it. Right, right. And you're a bit of a, a, a whippersnapper, aren't right. you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th- this dude kind of like, I'm going to make the rules, and I'm going to make these motherfuckers follow it. Right. Except I'm not going to use the word motherfucker out loud because right. it's against the PCA. Yeah, I'm going to use sinners. <laughs> <laughs> right. The PCA, by the way, gets the nickname the Hayes Code from because uh, the man in charge of the uh, MPPDA at the time is, like we said, William H. Hayes. So it's called the Hayes Code. Right. But um, it's Breen who's in charge of it. And uh, immediately the motion picture companies kind of feel like they need to fall suit right they fall right. they need to fall in line i think they start seeing the dominance of not only some of the people who are in the 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 main distribution companies the you know, mm-hmm. paramount and all of mm-hmm. these places that are putting out movies those people at the top tier of those have if it's not them they have family that is just like when are you going to clean up movies? You're in charge. But they start getting yeah, pushback right. from people around them. And so that mixed with th- this moral spew that's being thrown at them by yeah. all of these different areas. And yeah. probably, I'm assuming, a lot of the press press loves yeah. digging up the dirt on everyone. Right. And if they can throw yeah. someone over the bus, then they're going right. to. And so they start probably feeling the pressure. And they're like, well, yeah. we got to do something. We can't just drag our feet anymore. Yeah. So the, the, the motion picture uh, production code. It's a set of industry moral censorship guidelines that governed the production of the United States motion pictures released by any major studios. Right. right. It's a very long list, and it's, like, ridiculous in in how some of it's broken up and how yeah. some of it's interpreted and how some of it's reinterpreted as, as time moves on in the entertainment world of movies and, and such. So it's very dense, and if you want to go out there and look it up, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy read, but uh, they start yeah. implementing all of these crazy rules, and for the first time since this kind of stuff starts trying to be implemented in Hollywood, Hollywood, they start abiding by some of them. Yeah, that's when this kind of foofy era of, of classic Hollywood films comes in, right? Where fast talking and lots yep. of swing dancing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> some of those like acrobatic water movies and right, yeah. exactly. That that Hollywood sheen that we all know from the 40s and 50s start to right. make make their stakes right around this time right here. Yeah, so. Uh, Characters, famous characters from the Roaring Twenties even feel their effects, like, you know, the, Betty Boop is one of them who... Right, a cartoon character. But I still got it, Eddie. Boop, boop, doop You know, she's a flapper girl. She's got a little garter belt showing, stuff like yeah. that. And so... She's being sexy. That's not acceptable anymore. Right. She can't do that. And so she does do shorts after this is implemented to her, but none of them are popular because the guys out there that want to see a sexy cartoon, they all of a sudden she's wearing low-hanging dresses and stuff like that, not showing off her gams. Yeah, and um, 
uh, Gone with the Wind had to have a, a, a few uh, some scenes cut down in it. Right. Was it? Oh, like the childbirth scene. They had to they they had to like make it like a shadow on the right. wall kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. The minute they saw it, and apparently the story is the minute they saw it in the script, and the director was just like, okay, we'll shoot it like this and this. The code came in, and they were just like, you no. cannot show this, and you cannot do this. And so he he was just like, well, how am I gonna show? I can't just all of a sudden, hey, they got a kid. You know, we want to. Yeah. It's a it's a you know it's an important part. So they had to do it. He figured out a way to do it in shadow, and it was deemed okay. But yeah. they even had to fight to get that most famous line from that thing. That, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. The, right. the damn was like, whoa, you cannot say damn. Right, right, right. So, you know, these two guys we were talking about, Hayes and Breen. Hayes was, was kind of the public face. He was the guy out there doing the, uh, the publicity for the code and all that stuff, right. and the MPPDA. And Breen was like the gatekeeper of the decency, and he was <laughs> right. kind of the like behind the scenes. Right. Know, nobody really knew who he was, but except right. for the filmmakers themselves, because he's right. the one that's like, you know, fuck you, you can't get this done. So when I the see. press and something would say something to Hayes, he'd be like, "Is this being taken care of?" He's like, "Of course it's being taken care of," and they're like, yeah. "How?" And he's just like. Hey, Breen, how's this being taken care of? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Excuse me a minute. Bitch, how you not the Hobbit again? So as we come to the end of uh, the 1930s, towards the 1930s, um, we have this thing here out of uh, Congress called the House Committee on Un-American Activities, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's, it's known more popularly as the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Right, That correct. committee out of, the, out of uh, Congress here, what they were was an investigative committee for the uh, House of Representatives, and it was created in 1938 to investigate alleged disloyalty and uh, subversive activities on uh, the part of private citizens, public employees, and uh, those organizations suspected of having either fascist or communist ties, right? Right. Again, we've talked about this in other episodes too, but at this time in the 1930s, obviously, especially by 38, right. Hitler's got a lot of power. He's not fully in charge, but he's pretty close to being right. fully in charge. Right. He's going to invade Poland any minute now. And also in Russia, you know, Stalin is doing his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the communist thing. And, and, and uh, something I think we need to mention that really communism at this point is an ideology right. that does not have this stigma stigma exactly attached right. to it right so yeah. the it's it's actually common it's practiced throughout the world right you know what i mean there's it doesn't matter where in america there's there's communists having parties and they're basically the idea is is you know like hardcore socialism socialism to the very extreme right but basically the idea that uh, the workers are always going to get beat down because this is kind of coming out of that 1920s where everything's unregulated there's not a very strong central government right and uh you know the banks are be able to do whatever the fuck they want and boom and bust all that shit you know like like i said at the beginning right and communism kind of becomes popular in reaction to that kind of raw capitalist free enterprise thing you know right because what we were saying where there's a lot of there's a handful of really rich people controlling a lot of really poor people so Hmm. Good thing that's changed. <laughs> yeah. The idea is is that the basics of Marxism and all that stuff is that, you know, the workers are the one, they're the many. Right. So they shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be having these one, two percents telling us, you know, 
we're the ones doing everything. You know, kind of like in Fight Club, too. We talked about right. that, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Or like Spock says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So it's not like this evil thing yet because it's only just barely beginning to uh, be a government thing in Russia. You know, it's still kind of experimental. Right. And I think China's pretty close too. I think the the China, the Red Revolution in China is somewhere around this time period too. I don't remember exactly when it is, but Russia. I think I feel like Russia and 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 China are going through this at, at similarly close times, you know. Uh, right. Chairman Mao might have come a little bit later, I think. But anyway, right. Scary stuff to come. Let's just say that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but but you got to put yourself in this time period. We're all grown up, especially me, because I grew up in the Cold War, right. where there is nothing more evil than a communist, right? Right. And that's what we're heading towards anyway with this McCarthyism stuff as we get towards right. that era. But um, exactly. I feel like a lot of the you know it's probably the money men and all that stuff and and some of the free enterprise type politicians of this time period who are feeling the heat from some of this uh, stuff plus the new deal is coming in right and and fdr is president right so first of all let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself fdr basically he gets rid of prohibition so right. that they can sell alcohol and tax it and use that as a revenue and he creates a ton of social programs right. you know he is a democrat he's also kind of a socialist democrat he's kind of right. like the he's the bernie sanders of of his day right fdr right. is but he's incredibly fucking popular right um because his policies and the new deal definitely help lift us out of the depression as we start heading into the 40s right right and um Again, that that puts a lot of stifling on big business and all that stuff, and they don't like it. So, of course, I think what starts to happen in in like I said, big business is influencing con conservative politicians and all this stuff, and they're basically trying to kick back. And what can they do is they start pointing the evil, the fingers uh, towards the evil of communism and, right. and socialism, right? So, and it's pr probably pretty easy to do once. You know, Russia and China and all yeah. of these other countries that become scary. Yeah. They can scare other people with. It's a good way to control if we don't want people to get involved in this communism thing. Say, well, the bad guys do that. So the thing, yeah, the only thing, the thing about uh, Russia is it's not scary yet because right. Hitler's taken all the steam. Right. He's doing scary shit. We just right. don't know it. Russia is right. our ally, basically. Right. There's a few guys that are wary. You, you, you talk about Winston Churchill and you talk about uh, General Patton. Those are like right. two guys that are basically like, we don't need to stop the war once we kill Hitler. We need to go all the way to fucking Russia and stop it there because it's going to be a problem too, right? They, right. Those, both of those guys kind of saw the the force for the trees where everybody else was like, no, 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 they're our friends, you know? Right. I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. You want it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. So uh, that just kind of sets up for what we're heading for in the 40s because World right. War II starts, right? You know, it starts in, in the late, the, uh, uh, America's trying to be its isolationist way and, and keep out of it. Right. Uh, and uh, until, of course, 
uh, December 7th, 1941, and uh, that's Pearl Harbor, and we have no choice but to get involved in the war. Right. A date which will live in infamy. Interesting thing we should just say, going back to FDR real quick, he is the only president to serve more than two terms. He served four terms. Mm-hmm. He served four terms from the beginning of the Depression until he died in office in his fourth term. And uh, because of that, I don't remember if it happened in Tru- when Truman took over for him or in the end of his before he passed away, they basically said, uh, you know, I don't know if we can trust another president. Right. You know, obviously we made it through my four terms and nothing bad happened. Right. Can we trust another? So it was amended that there is a two term limit from FDR on. Right. If you really want to see an accurate portrayal of FDR, just watch Pearl Harbor. That's <laughs> so Isn't that John, John, uh, John Voight? Yeah. yeah, the most loudmouth conservative actor playing right. the most socialist <laughs> president we ever had. Right. So by the time we get into the 1940s, that uh, Joseph Breen guy that we told you guys to remember. Yeah, he's running the Hayes Code. Yeah, well, he decides in April 1941 that he's going to resign from the PCA. He's Whoa. just like, you know what? I got bigger fish to fry, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he ends up <laughs> becoming a general manager at RKO Pictures, which at the time was owned by a little a little weird guy named mm-hmm. Howard Hughes. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah. So he goes over there, kind of is there to try to show, okay, I can, I, you know, I mandated you pictures. Now I'm going to run a studio of myself. And uh, that didn't last long because in 1942, he ended up going back to the PCA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He ends up, uh, yeah, I think he found the, probably nobody wanted to listen to him over at right. the RKO Pictures. and that he, he probably more, burnt a lot of bridges while he yeah. was at the PCA. So people were just like, you know what? Fuck, Fuck you. you. <laughs> yeah. He ends up back in his job in less than a year. Yeah. Right. I guess we just need to mention real quickly, though, that in 1945, about the end, which is about the end of World War II, uh, mm-hmm. old Hayes there, he's an old man at this point, and he's, he's retiring. Right. So he's hanging up his hat from the uh, production code and the MPDDA. Yeah, so he hangs his coat up, and he's just like, have fun with this, Breen. I'm out. Yeah, this is this is yeah, this is you from now on out. It's right. You're cracking the whip, and <laughs> I, you don't need my public face here anymore. I'm I'm out of here. He probably for that year Breen was gone, and you know, Hayes was having to do all that extra work, and he's just like, man, motherfucker. Right, right. You know, like I said, 1945 is when World War II ends, right? Right. And you have that whole uh, splitting up the 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 German Empire amongst the uh, Allies, right? And right. And, uh, that whole Eastern Bloc all the way up to Berlin, <laughs> uh-huh. as we famously come to know in years later, uh, that all goes to uh, Joseph Stalin and Russia, right? Right. But that kind of uh, Leninism or Marxism thing is starting to spread out of Russia and China, and it's starting to get its work its way into Korea. Mm-hmm. So the tensions are rising in Korea in 1945, and... Um, they end up splitting in half, as we know it today, the North and the South. They split in half. The Northern half, they adopt a, a, a communist ideology, and right. the, the South Koreans kind of want to stay uh, 
more democratic and free. Then something ends up happening on November 24th of 1947 called the Waldorf Statement. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a press release issued by uh, Eric Johnson, president of the Motion Picture Association of America. And it f was following a closed-door meeting between 48 motion picture uh, company executives at New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Mm -hmm. So all the big wigs are getting together, and mm -hmm. they're having this big meeting. And uh, it was basically a statement uh, that was in response to the contempt of Congress charges against the so-called Hollywood Ten. Right. So what is the Hollywood Ten? So... The, the Hollywood 10, is, it's kind of these suspect people who, uh, they're mostly writers of the time period. Right. Uh, in the late 1940s. Um, we have Alva Bessie, Herbert Bieberman, and yep. uh, there's Lester Cole, mm -hmm. Edward uh, Dimitrik, mm -hmm. Ring Lardner Jr., John Howard Lawson, Albert Maltz, Samuel Ornitz, uh, Adrian Scott, and... Dalton Trumbo. Whoa. Whoa, that's the Hollywood 10. So these guys are kind of being suspected of doing this uh, red thinking and, right. and having been members of the, uh, the Communist Party of America in the past. Before it was considered uh, a, a bad thing. Yeah. Right. It's now, yeah, right. With the, the you know, we're, we're past World War II, like we said, and things are mm -hmm. getting a little weird over there in Asia. Right. And, and tensions are starting to rise. Uh, right. So... Yeah, and, and again, like we said, you know, there's also people who are also wanting to kick back against the New Deal socialism of America, too, so... Exactly. Yeah, they need to make an enemy out of something. Again, you have, you know, I'm sure the press getting behind everyone, everything, yeah. everyone starting to point fingers at stuff. There are bad things out there in Hollywood, and of course, by this time, you know, you're getting into the, uh, the 40s here, mid-40s, the end of the 40s. Hollywood mm -hmm. is neck deep in moralism mm -hmm. and you know we want to because have, of the Hayes Code yeah. right exactly so we need to have clean movies and we had to make sure that all of our actors are respectable even though they're still going out and doing the horrible debauchery things that they were doing in the past yeah just, just hide better it at better. covering it up now yeah right yeah when all you know just every every uh, actor and actress of the time needs to be yeah. a really good singer and right probably needs to know how to do some soft shoe and, and yep. dance, you know, because exactly. most movies have song and dance in them, and, and, and there's a lot of music and stuff. And right. New York, New York, the wonderful town. This is also just to put it in perspective. This is in a time where it's a Hollywood system. So if you're an actor or an yeah. actress, you right. sign a contract with Paramount or Universal. You don't right. go bouncing around. Yeah, you're not a freelance. You sign with right. one company, and if they want to loan you out because right. they want someone from another company, then they right. will do that. But you're in contract with them, so you do the movies that they tell you to do. Yeah. Every now and again, you can maybe pick a project and bring it to them, and if they want to make it, they will. But there's a lot of control over it. If you're a homosexual at this time, mm -hmm. you're not a homosexual if you're signed to a contract. And right. You better yeah. keep that shit on the down low. You're not yeah. allowed to do that stuff. And right. you have to, they will assign people for you to date at the time. I mean, they really have complete control over it, which is hilarious because, that, you know. So as a result of that uh, Waldorf statement we talked about, mm -hmm. the first Hollywood blacklist is, is, is instituted uh, 
right around uh, a day after uh, right. the press release <laughs> in ni- November 25th, 1947. So we, we basically, you know, and just for clarification, when, uh, you know, we're talking about left and right, right? Right. You know, like we talk about today, right? The mm-hmm. blue states and the red states. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you have the very extremes on either side of that, you know. The, right. uh, and and the, the extreme far left is communism, right? Right. And the extreme far right is fascism. But <laughs> when you get to the two extremes and uh, um, they meet each other on the back end. Right. Because it's authoritarian control right. uh, of, a, of an ideology that's basically dictating everybody and telling them how to live their lives. Exactly. So you go too far one way or too far the other way, it doesn't matter. They're basically meeting on the backside. So it's almost, it's almost like a circle. It's not really a line left to right. It's a circle and the, and the left and right, the extreme left and right meet on the backside, you know? Right. Because you, you, you know, it's either, you know, there's not much different between uh, Stalin's Russia and Hitler's Germany right. in, in, the, in the early 40s. And I know. mean, if you really look at the history of how certain communities, when a bunch of people get together and mm. they have this belief system and other people don't follow that belief system, you know, it starts to become this thing of a witch hunt. Yeah, and that's right. basically what this ends up turning out. So it's basically you go back to the days of when you accuse someone of being a witch, and then you throw them in the water to see if they drown. And if they drown, they're not a witch. If they, you know, yeah, yeah, it's just it's crazy. They have it's to a, die. They have to die to prove that they're not what they're being accused. It, it, the way it went was if they if they drown, they were they're innocent of being a witch, but they're right. dead. Right, and if they but, float, they're guilty of being a witch. They're pulled out, and then they're burned at the stake. Never, either so, way, you die. Either way, you're dead meat. Right, <laughs> right, and and that's basically what. If you flash ahead to what we're talking about right now, the blacklist is. It's just a big witch hunt. That's yeah. all it is. Right, and it's for a side. You believe what I believe, or I'm going to condemn you. Well, and it's also you know it's 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 a. Uh, they, they feel like, uh, I think a lot of whatever these conservative politicians of this time period feel like this communist agenda is being written into these movies at the time. Right. Which is not unlike today where we hear about, you know, the liberal media or the Hollywood elite and all that stuff, right? Right. That's a continuation of that same thought pattern that, you know, we're basically pushing, the, you know, these guys are they have their you know left-leaning agenda and they're 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 writing it into their to their movies in order to influence the population to be more like them that's kind of what the right is concerned about right and that's why this this witch hunt is going on to basically um say to these people you know these artists exactly we'll tell you what's good for you yeah right right let the government tell you do you remember a point in your life where you heard about or understood what the blacklist was it through movies or was it yeah. through something yes it I, was through movies was it through movies okay it was probably guilty by suspicion which is in a fictional account with robert right. de niro back in like, what was that 92 or something like that yeah something like that no it's not a it's not a great movie i rewatched it recently uh, right it's not that great de, de niro is the only good part about that whole movie right but i don't think i had ever heard anything about it before that and uh uh, you know, I was at, I was probably you know ninety two. I would have been about twenty years old or twenty twenty one years old. So it okay. it made a big impression on me, and I had, I knew nothing about it beforehand. Uh, right, because I was thinking about it, and I think my first time ever hearing anything about it was stumbling on it through something else that was happening in eighty nine. So mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty nine, 
there was this big huge published all over the newspapers and on 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 uh, news coverage on TV and stuff and it was about Oliver North and the scandal that happened mm, yeah as you all know by now my name is Oliver North lieutenant colonel United States Marine Corps it was broadcast everywhere and so I remember watching these news coverages of course I was young so I didn't really care about it but seeing flashes of old Hollywood types and then they showed footage of when Howard Hughes comes and he's testified about using the government money to to make these planes that wouldn't fly and all of that stuff. You are before this committee and you're going to answer the question. I put the sweat of my life into this thing. I have my reputation rolled up in it and I have stated several times that if it's a failure I'll probably leave this country and never come back and I mean it. And that whole news story ended up leading into a story about the blacklist and Hollywood mm-hmm. at the time and stuff like that. And I remember hearing about it at that time and seeing the associate. I always had an association with the blacklist because I learned about it through the Oliver North trial. I mm-hmm. always think of those two oh, in, wow. in, the same, in the same thing. All and right. so that was the first time I'd ever heard anything about the blacklist. And, and then as I got older, remembering, oh, yeah, that was that time and period where things were really stifled as mm-hmm. far as creativity and stuff in Hollywood. And yeah. Have you ever observed any communistic information in any scripts? Well, I had turned down quite a few scripts because I thought they were tinged with communistic ideas. Basically, I, I, the, the uh, all the studio heads got together and uh, collectively uh, like blacklisted these this, these ten plus you know any and then started to uh, right. release names of possible other uh, you know suspicious p- actors and, and and writers and directors of that time period who who, who were suspected to be you know pinkos <laughs> yeah imagine too these these were really well-known people again not just actors were signed to contracts but writers back then were too and these are the same writers going working on the same projects with the same you know actors and stuff all the time so you have you know people like john wayne and ronald reagan and all of these people working yeah. with the same writers along with humphrey bogart and them yeah. they know these people they're friends with these people they go to parties with these people and all this stuff right so to see what's happening to this hollywood tin is probably terrifying to these people in the industry because they're just like, okay, if I believe in this stuff and I stand up for my friends, then I'm going to lose my job and be out on the street like these guys are. Or I can have a backbone and stand up and see what happens to me or stuff. Or I can, you know, do what what basically Hollywood's kind of putting pressure on you to do, which is go with us. We know what's best. Yeah, uh, uh, we know that... um you know, John Wayne was was a pretty staunch conservative guy. You know, Mr. Pro America, blah 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 blah. He's kind of full of horseshit. Yes, right. me. Right. If anything, I mean, I I'm gonna I'll just I don't care if it's controversial or not. Say I it. think he's a piece of shit. I think John Wayne is a piece of shit, and I don't right. and I, and uh, I don't really have much appreciation for him. Right. And uh, I think too a lot of this this angst and this posturing that he takes in this time period right is his response to his guilt from not going he didn't go to world war ii where all of his friends and colleagues yep including john ford went and served and fought in world war ii we're talking like uh jimmy stewart and uh you know a lot of famous actors went and said fuck it i'm going to fight for my country john wayne pushed out he pushed out and didn't go and i think even john ford called him out on it right and i I feel like he's supposed to be the gung-ho american guy so what does he do he 
postures up and says, well, I'm just going to make a mockery out of anybody who says anything bad about America and what we believe in, you know, right. because, you know, I think there's a lot of guilt because he didn't go to World War II. And then you got Ronald Reagan, who's yeah. trying to be an actor, and right. he, he, he does some work here and there, He and he's actually was known to be part of the Communist Party. Yeah, he was a Democrat. He was yeah. a Democrat. What happened is, is it, when he gets hooked up with another two-bit actor, yep, uh, Nancy, that he ends yep. up marrying, she, <laughs> she comes from an incredibly staunch yep. rep- conservative background, and uh, right, she really kind of sinks her teeth into him, you know, over love, uses love, and then he flips his wagon like a motherfucker, and and he goes, well, I guess uh, it's bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and that's where his political aspirations kick in later on and, you know, right. changes the world. And a lot of this stuff that we're talking about right now is in parts covered in, in movies like Trumbo, or although, you know, they, they do embellish things here and there for those yeah. the, the, those movies. But it is interesting to look at it through that because what you're talking about, about uh, John Wayne in particular, mm-hmm. is covered really well, I think, in, in Trumbo. And it really yeah. shows what you're, what you're talking about. Right. And maybe it's not for your kind. My kind? What what kind is that? The kind that has no idea why we just won a war. I was curious. That's the second time you mentioned that. See, I was a war correspondent in Okinawa. Where did you serve again? You trying to say something? No, Duke, he wasn't. Stay out of it, Eddie. If you're going to talk about World War II as if you personally won it, let's be clear where you were stationed. On a film set, shooting blanks, wearing makeup. And if you're going to hit me, I would like to take off my glasses. Trumbo played by Brian Cranston in that movie. Right. If anybody's interested, I think it came out a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago. Right. Something yeah. like that. It's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. funny. Like, and like you said, it's it's loosely based. They talk. They deal with, I think, Edward G. Robinson, too, who was... Uh, right. And a lot of the thing there, too, was he... I think he did attend some of those Communist Party meetings. Yeah. Right. And I think he was seeing Edward G. Robinson, Edward G. Yeah. Robinson did, and he was. Uh, I think there was some issues with his him being homosexual too. So, right, he was. And that was used against him. So that's a good movie to check out if if you want to know anything about the blacklist. That's one. We'll list a few totally. others as we go along here. Uh, uh, yeah. Because there's a couple of really good ones. Just since we're on it, real quick, you also have another guy who does. He he gets together with other stars that are willing to stand up for their beliefs, and they decide to go and actually testify. Bogart is one of these guys. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart, right? Right, and so Humphrey Bogart goes with a group of other uh, people in the industry. They testify, and it goes horribly because they're not prepared. None right. of them are prepared. Right. They end up looking like complete schmucks. Right, and then they they you know he he ends up having to come out Bogart and then walk back on his statements yeah. and standing up for these people because they look so bad and he basically said we kind of made a mockery of ourselves and I apologize for that. Yeah, and I, th- I think probably he caught a ton of heat from the yeah. motion picture companies and, and they said, you, you know. No, he did. You, you switch his shit around and you're not working anymore, bud. Yep, and so, I bet you. Since we're talking about, you know, it's 1947, all this stuff is going on at the end. There's, there's someone else who ends up playing a, a major role in all this shit hmm. uh, is a, a senator named Joseph McCarthy who becomes senator for Wisconsin in 1947. So we were talking about this 10 are called out and these, these Congress, congressional committees are happening in 1947. Also, that's the same year that Joseph McCarthy becomes a senator. Yeah. Right. 
And I think also some people, you know, because Joseph McCarthy, when I was looking him up for this too, it was saying that he was very much Democrat and then 44 hits and he switches directly over. So there's opportunity, I think, that, yeah. you know, people see. But this is what's interesting because the hypocrisy begins, right? Like, they, right. like you're talking about. His first term, he was elected with huge support from the communist controlled uh, United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers. They were behind him because the guy he was running against was uh, Robert La Follet. <laughs> probably La Follet. It's spelled La Follette, but um, <laughs> who, who was like staunchly anti-communist. So he basically right. he wrote the curtails of these supporters of that were pro-communist and uh, right. got his. And then, like you said, once he gets into power, he's like, "Fuck these guys." And um, yeah. Switches his tune, right? Which kind of goes to show his character as we go forward and some of the stuff that he gets involved in. It's just it's crazy, yeah, man. Yeah, he's, he's, so a, he's with a, him right from the beginning. He's a fucking worm. Yep. So, yeah, he becomes a Republican, like you said, and, and uh, you know, starts his career quietly at first. He's kind of mediocre. You know, he doesn't, he's not, not, doesn't really have much steam for a while. Right. But we'll say the next year, and this kind of goes back to the um, the Hayes Code side of the story. Um, right. 1948, we have an antitrust case that's U.S. versus uh, Paramount Pictures, and it goes to the Supreme Court, right? Right. And uh, basically what the U.S. wanted to do is break up the uh, film industry's monopoly. and Because uh, like you mentioned earlier, that right. all of these motion picture companies also own all the movie theaters throughout the country. Right. So they're controlling what's being seen, right? And then right. they concede they, the, the, this case is brought up against them that it's a monopoly and they, the U.S. wins. And uh, what happens is um, the theaters are, the, the, the motion picture companies are forced to sell off the theaters to become independent of them. And right. now all of a sudden, independent film has a a place to be shown right. throughout America, not just independent film, but foreign film. And right. what is not really under the PCA, because the PCA is kind of a self-governed thing in a way, right. uh, is independent films and foreign films, right? So these, these independent foreign films in 1948 start slowly, after 1948, start slowly creeping their way into the zeitgeist. And right. uh, since they don't have to meet the code, uh, people slowly start going, hmm, interesting. That's cool. Let's look what yeah. they can do when they don't have a hammer hanging over their head. Yeah, and right, this right. This way and that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that just, just to hit that home, you know, before that, you couldn't just go make a movie and then take it to a, a theater if you had the backing and distribute it anywhere because Paramount owns Paramount pay, uh, theaters and Universal right. owns Universal theaters. And they play their own movies there. So you can't say, hey, I made my own picture. If Universal doesn't like it or Paramount doesn't like it, they're not going to show it in their theater. So you can't show your movie. Right. You could do it outside of the U.S., right? but U.S. is like, nope, sorry. Yeah, so uh, unregulated films are starting to creep their way in. Right. And the audiences are appreciating that. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a niche group, though. Yeah, at, at first, at first, yeah. You know, this is niche group that's starting to, it's starting to grow yeah. to give us what we have today. Right, exactly, <laughs> right. Netflix and streaming and such. Right. Yeah, so... Uh, as we so we're heading into the 1950s now, and uh, dun, dun, dun. Um, put it, on your tap dancing shoes because it's about to get dancing and yeah. musicals. And <laughs> right, right. I'm sailing 
singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. What a glory. So, uh, but also it starts getting a little heavy, too, mm-hmm. because um, in 1950, right. remember we talked about uh, at the end of World War II that uh, Korea had split in two? Right. Well, tensions rise to the point where uh, the North Korean uh, People's Army invades South Korea. Yikes. They basically want to make the whole country communist, basically. Of course. And uh, the United States being pretty fervently anti-communist at this point, and, and uh, they, we basically send over troops. They, this is one of those conflicts, you know. It's never officially a war, but we go over there and we fight. Right. <laughs> you know, because Congress didn't declare war on Korea or anything like that. Right. So it's considered a conflict. But uh, we basically support the South Korea uh, rebellion, I guess, against the invasion of North Korea. And this lasts for three years. But what this does at the same time is it helps further influence that panic and fear of communist overtake uh, of America. You know what I mean? And and not only in policy and politicians, but amongst the public, too. Right. You know? Yep. So the red hate, basically. Oh, yeah. And this is a perfect thing for them to, as I was saying earlier, to point to and say, see how bad it is? Yeah. See how bad this stuff is? Be scared of this stuff. Yeah, and this helps... Um, Good old McCarthy. Yeah, Joe, Joe McCarthy, right? Yeah. Uh, so on February 9th, 1950, McCarthy gives his uh, uh, Lincoln Day speech to the uh, Republican Women's Club of Wheeling, uh, West Virginia. Mm-mm. In that speech, he is basically... He has a piece of paper that uh, claimed uh, contained uh, a list of about 205 known communists working in the State Department, right? Right. So he's starting to kick up the red scare right, right here. This is, this is where he starts to ramp up his career and start to be known. And um, it, it, they basically call it the Red Hunt, right? And it's very— And one of the things that they say about that particular thing that I was reading about just recently was that the 205 names that he supposedly had— 60 people that he said were still working for him, 60 mm-hmm. of that 205 were actually still working. The rest that of the 205 was just supposed communists that had worked for these companies at some time in the history. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's pretty uh Yeah. pretty suspect yeah. list and and it's just it's reaching. Yep. Yeah. I think it, he's just and all he's really trying to do not unlike many politicians or right. you, you think of um What's his name? Rudy Giuliani as the uh, DA of New York going after organized crime right. successfully. Right. right. What does that do? That helps him give him a ton of power. Yeah. Uh, and People know his name. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And it's like Robert F. Kennedy does the same thing in yep. the 60s against the mafia as well. Right. Trying to gain clout so that he can eventually run for president. You bet And you. That's, that's what McCarthy's doing here. He's, he's just looking for a horse to jump on yep. and, and, and uh, ride it to the end of the race, right? You betcha. The thing that the American people can do is to be vigilant day and night to make sure they don't have communists teaching the sons and daughters of America. Hey there, folks. We just wanted to let you know, in case you wanted to reach out and have any questions for us, or even wanted to answer some of the questions that we've posed to each other during the show, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at at TFTFP Podcast. Yes. 
sometimes you might want to use Twitter instead. Yes. And, it, and if that's the case, mm-hmm. you go to uh, the address there, it's a little different. It's podcast TFTFP. Hey, if you want to send us a shiny old email, you can do that at tftfppodcast at gmail.com that is beyond the truth my friend Mm. and do us all a favor and like subscribe and review us because it helps us out all right now so mccarthyism as a lot of people might know it or maybe they don't know it who knows but if you do know it then that term was coined by the washington post or a cartoonist at the washington post herbert block sounds like a gem at the parties uh, in march of 1950 though yeah block and and, uh, and others used this word as a uh, a synonym for demagoguery uh, baseless uh, defamation and mudslinging basically yeah. which perfectly does sum up that guy <laughs> yeah so if you, you don't really know it's kind of ba- McCarthyism is basically the red hunt right that's right. kind of what we, we we think of when basically pointing fingers at people whether they're guilty or not because once we get to this next guy who helps <laughs> him out there's a, you know this only quadruples uh, is basically you just, anybody you have a spiteful contempt towards, you'll mm-hmm. just start, po- oh yeah, well you're a communist. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the whole country hates this person, right? Right. So that's, the, the, the person we're talking about next is Roy M. Cohn, right? Whoa. You know who should play him in a movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that one guy with the big dick. Yeah, James Woods, Woods right. So in 1951, Roy M. Cohn this guy who's just so fucking angry and vitriol filled <laughs> he's, uh, he's, a, he's a lawyer and he leads the prosecution against uh, the Rosenbergs which is a famous trial about these two people this husband and wife team who were basically accused of selling uh, nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union right and those people you know Cohn wins Cohn is spelled C-O-H-N by the way not Cohen but Cohn right but he is Jewish, and he is gay. So remember those two things. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. Right, I'm just no. saying this dude yeah. has some serious balls being yep. a gay Jewish guy in the 1950s and do, does what he's about to do. So anyway, right. he basically gets the uh, Rosenbergs uh, convicted and executed for treason, right? Right. This is one of those things in history where you're not, you can't really know what really happened, but a lot of people believe the Rosenbergs were falsely accused. Right, of course. So the story continues, though. Because of this success against the Rosenberg case, um, McCarthy... Uh, <laughs> one swarmy guy sees another swarmy guy. Right, and... Uh, <laughs> He, you know, he, in 1953, you know, a couple of years after this case, Joe McCarthy becomes uh, chair of the Senate Government Operations Committee, right? Right. And, and uh, he basically takes on uh, Roy Cohn as chief counsel. Right. And together, Oof. these two guys just start, like, pointing the motherfucking fingers and just going after everybody. Crazy. Just going after everybody, yeah. Who, who do they go after, I wonder, besides communists? <laughs> yeah, uh, homosexuals. Whoa. They start outing gay people and all that stuff. Yeah. It's so hypocritical. Yeah, it's, it's enraging. It's enraging, yeah. these yeah. two guys together. Yep. It's so, you know, and they're just like, like I said, and Cohn's basically 
pointing fingers at people that he just doesn't like, like I right. said a few minutes ago. And 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 basically, I ordered the fish, not the chicken. Yeah, you're a communist. <laughs> you're a communist, right? <laughs> this guy is fucking bananas. Yeah, he is bananas. Yeah. And there is a movie about him called Citizen Cone, and and as Derek mentioned, uh, <laughs> James Woods plays him, right? And, and uh, Joe Don Baker plays Senator Joe McCarthy. <laughs> uh, and, really uh, good casting in that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the movie is what it is. You know, right. it, it's it's kind of a. It's, it seems a little lower on the budget, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's a made-for-TV movie, and it feels like it. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah. But you kind of get a pretty good feel for what was going on with this mm-hmm. guy and just what a raging hypocrite he was. Yep. So fucking, you know, it's kind of like, the, you know, and he's buddies with J. Edgar Hoover, too, right. who also is a raging hypocrite because he is secretly gay. Right. And and outing people and, and you know. Seeing a trend here with all of these powerful people. Yeah, the powerful gay guys <laughs> who are pretending not to be gay. It's really fucking... Infuriating. It's, crazy. it's just craziness. Yeah. They're just pointing the fingers at what should be their community. Right. Exactly. Uh, they're condemning them to. It's just. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That shit goes on. Uh, you know, the McCarthyism starts raging, and uh, right. Uh, you know, like I said, they're ousting commies and 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 homosexuals left and right. So if we switch back over to another Joseph. Joseph yeah. Breen, that guy we right. told you guys to remember, who's right. over the PCA after Hayes was like, see you later. Yep. Well, his power over Hollywood starts diminishing in the mid-50s. Right. And, and one of his uh, old bosses, that he, when he left PCA for a little bit, worked for RKO. He was the, the main guy at RKO and then ended up leaving again. Well, Howard Hughes, he ends up re- releasing this movie called The French Line in 1953, and it features, of course, revealing images of uh, actress Jane Russell because Howard Hughes, in case no one knows, uh, aside from being a womanizer, he loves tits. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> airplanes and tits. <laughs> yes. So, despite the fact that Breen, probably I would sense that there was hostility between Breen between not them. being. Yeah, yeah. From their RKO history. Right. Yeah. So Breen probably tries to come down pretty hard on him, and Howard Hughes is just he ain't having any of that right. stuff. He just refuses the approval and puts the picture out for release anyway, because he's just like. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So the movie gets out d- despite not being approved by the PCA. Right. Yeah, it's pretty ballsy. Right. And and that kind of helps, I think. Other you know, people. Right. Right, and it it's fractures the right. the hold that uh, Breen and the PCA have over the motion picture. And so yeah, once once that thing starts unwinding, like, like anything in Hollywood, you you are accused about something, or you become this kind of pawn, and and whether he's you, a dictator. Yeah, once the veil is pulled down, that. No one person doesn't have to listen to you, and they're a powerful person. Other yeah. powerful people look at that powerful person and then say, "Hey, let's be like that guy." So how yeah, Hughes right. becomes the guy to look at, right? And then yeah, Breen eventually. Apparently, he just kind of was just like, you know what? I realize my numbers up, so yeah. he's in charge of the PCA until he just retired in 1954. He's just like, yeah. I can't take it. It's basically, that was like a year after the yeah. Howard Hughes movie. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of like the PCA's kind of like... There's someone who comes in and does it after him, but no one really takes it seriously after that. Anymore. Right, yeah. It's kind of like back to the way it was. Right. 
when it was just Hayes and and they were you know the, in the early Depression era where they're like we need to make money off this. Right. Stuff. It's not like Hollywood goes totally off the deep no. end, but it There's... slowly starts to right unravel and push the envelope. It takes people like Howard Hughes to yeah. stand up because he does have the money and the clout and he owns RKO and he owns other areas to say, yeah. I don't want to listen to you. So right. I'm not going right. to. And I'm going right. to put it out right. in my theaters and whether it does good or not, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> and the same year. 1954. Yeah, this is a little bit nuts. Like the, the McCarthy and Cohn together have... Uh, basically accused high level generals or something like that i can't remember exactly who there's a couple of guys of of, of being communists in the u.s army right and uh they're in this big one of those big congressional committees right mr welch i think i've made it very clear to you that neither you nor anyone else will ever get me to violate the confidence of loyal people in this government who give me information about communist infiltration I repeat, you will not get their names, you will not get any information which will allow you to identify them so that you or anyone else can get their jobs. You can go right ahead and try until doomsday. They end up making fools of themselves. Right. Exactly. Uh, because nobody's going to believe that the army's communist and that this guy's, co- you know, this guy was also like, you know, a World War II veteran and, you know, the particular officer that they were going after. And, right. You know. And you can kind of see stars in the eyes of McCarthy and Cohen at this time you can see yeah. that they're trying to chase something bigger so that'll give them bigger clout more yeah. more people and, and what's happening also at this time Edward R. Murrow who is a very popular journalist at the mm-hmm. time TV journalist he, he has his own show and stuff like that yeah. uh, other journalists are doing it at the time so he's not like the forerunner in this whole thing but I think he's one of the first ones on TV anyway to use his platform of TV to really point out how wrong this whole McCarthyism how crazy it's getting out of hand and point and showing segments showing yeah. what is going on how crazy this this stuff is getting and really pointing a finger at it and I want to assure you that I will not be deterred by the attacks of the Murrows, the Lattimores, the Fosters, the Daily Worker, or the Communist Party itself. He's basically exposing it for the witch hunt that it is. Right. right? Exactly. Earlier, the senator asked, upon what meat does this our Caesar feed? Had he looked three lines earlier in Shakespeare's Caesar, he would have found this line, which is not altogether inappropriate. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. No one familiar with the history of his country can deny that congressional committees are useful. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one, and the junior senator from Wisconsin has stepped over it repeatedly. Good night, and good luck. You know, Edward uh, Murrow is popular enough that he does have an influence on public opinion to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. And and so that mixed with the craziness and also the bridges that McCarthy and Cohen Cohen, has made over this uh, this witch hunt 
time mm-hmm. that they've been in in charge all of those bridges burnt they ha- don't have a lot of people in their corner and once the press starts turning against you yeah you're fucked because that's right. who you need behind you to continue to get power yeah and it was basically this um this charge against the the united states army that basically was the nail in the coffin and right. i think cohen saw it and he basically resigned uh, from the chief <laughs> from his uh, mccarthy staff and mccarthy just kind of he was actually censured by uh, the Senate. The vote. The Senate voted to censure him in uh, December twelfth, nineteen fifty-four. So he right. lost all clout to yep. totally. And um, you know, he. Uh, we'll just say real quick. He went on to, you know, try to speak out about this shit, but nobody was listening to him anymore. Right. And he eventually died in office uh, mm-hmm. a few years later. I think in. Um, 1957 so only a few years later uh yeah this is a, one of those spun things on what was his death he was a very he was a known raging alcoholic joe right. mccarthy was everybody knew it uh, and all that stuff so most of the press said that's what he died of but his death or death certificate says hepatitis hepatitis so i don't know if that was like one of those of that time period where they were trying to give an honorable you know a man right. of clout an honorable death but the reality is he probably drank himself to death right But meanwhile, Cohn, Cohn went on to have this uh, continued career. You know, he was a, a lawyer that, again, he, he would take on cases and, and, and would just make up right. witnesses. And, and, and yeah. he just bullshitted his way through all these. Jury cases. tampering, everything. Jury tampering, yeah. all this stuff, yeah. And But he had a 30-year-long career. And big-name clients, you know. He had uh, some guy named Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his big clients. <laughs> you know, and then they, they say, too, that uh, Donald Trump admired the fuck out of Cohn and modeled himself a bit after him. The which heck is, you say? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> obvious now that when you when you see it. But anyway. He also did, uh, he, he represented the New York Yankee, Yankees baseball uh, club owner George Steinbrenner, which I can only hear Larry David talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know, I know. Thanks to Seinfeld. George, let me tell you something. When I find something I like, I stick with it. From 1973 to 1982, I ate the exact same lunch every day. Turkey, chili, and a bowl made out of bread. Bread bowl, George. You eat the chili, then you eat the bowl. Here's where I think the hooks really get into him, because if you yeah. can't have power through... Accusing people and being a media, yeah. you know, prince, right. then he's going to go the other way, the darker way. Yeah. So the mob figures that he starts, <laughs> he oh. starts representing is like Tony Salerno and Carmine uh, Galanti. Yeah. Uh, John Gotti. Yeah. So those, I mean, those names, if you know anything about mob, if you heard anything, all of those are really high up guys. Yeah. So yes. he's in the trenches with some dark characters there. And then even the the two guys that end up owning Studio 54, which is just this huge raging thing in the 70s, and that's... Uh, yeah, and it's corrupt as fuck. Yep, yep. But uh, th- anyway, throughout Cohen's career, though, there, he had, like I was saying a minute ago, he had uh, accusations of theft, obstruction, extortion, tax evasion, bribery, black, blackmail, fraud, perjury, and witness tampering. And oh the thing is, God. is he was sued multiple times for this shit, and he right. kept on getting away with it. So right. by the time you get to the, uh, you know, the era of the early 80s here with the, uh, with the, like, Studio 54 times and all that stuff, he, the guy feels like 
he's Teflon. You know, he's right. uh, like untouchable. And uh, okay. and I'm sure the company that he keeps probably makes him feel that way because he's probably using all of those horrible techniques to get those guys off, and though though they're continuing to bolster him up, saying, "Oh man, you you, right. you got fucking balls on you, kid." So again, after like all that harsh treatment he did of of the homosexual community, his own community, right? You know, and he had uh, at this point in the '80s, he had a long-term boyfriend that he had been with. Um, right. You know, he partied too. It was the 80s, and he right. was diagnosed with AIDS. And uh, because of his um, closet, he was still, you know, publicly closeted. He tried right. to bury that shit and uh, say it was cancer and all that stuff, but it was obviously AIDS. Right. And, you know, he was doing all the secret uh, experimental treatments and all that stuff, but, uh, right. you know. That was in 84? Yeah, in 84, but that's, that's um, you know, that's obviously a death sentence at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're, course, not, yeah. you're not surviving that stuff. So what ends up happening is, is he, um, he's still kicking around in 86, but he's... Jeez, he finally gets disbarred by a uh, five-judge panel of, uh, of the appellate division of the New York uh, State Supreme Court. You know, and they disbar him for unethical and uh, unprofessional conduct, including, huh? uh, yeah, including misappropriation of clients' funds, lying Jeez. on a bar application, which goes all the way back, right? Right. And uh, pressuring clients to amend his will, right? Yeah. Jesus, man. So this guy's a real fucking piece of work. Yep. So then he he died uh, uh, later that year. Even so, it didn't you know, just barring him. Yeah. Is like kind of pointless at that point because he was <laughs> right. already knocking on death's door. He died uh, August second, nineteen eighty six, in Maryland. Uh, complications of AIDS. Right. He was fifty nine. Yeah, fifty nine years old. Right. Yeah. So all that shit he did. All that hate he kicked up, yeah, and that all that was within a 59-year period. <laughs> right. I what know. a horrible human being. I know. Yeah, and they, and you know after he died, the IRS pretty much seized everything he owned because he was a right. pretty rich dude. You know? Right. So. Why are they after you so? Bad? All right. Let me give you one example to show why they're after me. They're they're after me for two reasons. Number one of the old McCarthy days. These people come from the liberal legal establishment in New York. And they're the country club set and the martinis and the uh, tennis matches on Saturday afternoon and but all that. 32 years after the fact, they're still going after Roy Cohn. Why? Okay, because certain members, it's a small panel, and certain members of the panel do not conceal their intense dislike for me. That puts both McCarthy and uh, and Cohn in the grave at that point. So what's happening with the Hayes Code, as we mentioned, if we kick back the time clock a little bit, we're, we're, we're entering the 1960s. And, uh, you know, like we had said, uh, Breen has uh, since retired. And right. um, movies are starting to get more and more uh, adventurous as time goes right. on and what their content's going to be. And, and, and But we will finish up the Blacklist story. Right. In 1960. Right. When Dalton Trumbo, who, as we mentioned earlier, was a member of the Hollywood 10 who was blacklisted, he, he right. was credit he was credited uh, as a screenwriter of the film Exodus in 1960. Right. And, pub and then publicly acknowledged by Kirk Douglas for writing the screenplay for Spartacus, right. even though I think it was put under someone else's name. Right. Yeah. So Kirk, who's that that was his baby, that movie. And uh, I think he he was gunning to get 
Dalton to write him and try and help. You know, that's we got to give Kirk Douglas some credit for that. Oh yeah, totally. Because um, he went looking for him. He, he went was looking for right, him. right. Because Dalton was blacklisted and it was was trying to get any kind of work he could, but couldn't get much work at all. Exactly. Yeah, he was writing for little like barely B movies like right. he was writing little things there and they're barely making ends meet and everything but Douglas was apparently a big fan of a lot of his previous work before he was blacklisted thought he was right. this is a really intelligent amazing writer and right. so hands up to that guy Kurt Douglas because uh, he took a risk even by that time mm-hmm. trying to find one of these blacklisted writers because as we'll learn a lot of the other blacklisted writers th- they went on still to be barred from work for yeah, years, for years afterwards. Yeah, pretty sad. Yeah, and they didn't. All they did was experiment with ideology right. when they were like in their twenties, which is what a lot of people do anyway. Right. And it, like I said, the ideology had not been demonized yet. You right. Know? So it's kind of like with some of the woke culture today, with certain certain comedians who will say some had said something ten years ago. Right on an old tweet or something like that and somebody goes and digs it up and then they get uh, basically kind of in a way modern day blacklisted or right. no, totally. for, for saying something uh, like off color that wasn't necessarily controversial when they said it but right. is considered controversial now it's kind of a similar yeah, of course. Uh, uh, thing so there is, there is some um, relevance what, what's interesting too is that you look at that and those people are completely isolated from a lot of hollywood systems because hollywood systems don't want to touch you if you're a part of this some kind of a movement to where you said something you shouldn't have said that mm-hmm. people are offended by now but if you look at a lot of the shows that people still enjoy the yeah. office and breaking yeah. bad right. are all saying things that you couldn't do today right You'd get in right. trouble while doing it, but they're still hugely popular shows. Yeah, Steve Carell says the R yeah. word a few times and yeah. throughout the run of uh, you know. Yeah. But no, but no, you know, it was. It, well, even the body shaming stuff that they do. Sometimes. Yeah, they do a lot of this, exactly. all of it. Yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, you know, it's important to know your history because we tend to repeat it, and we're repeating it right <laughs> now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, you know, that kind of ends the, the closes the chapter on the blacklist part. But then w- what about the, the whole, like we were saying, the PCA side of, side of right. things? Um, What's a the rating? rating system. Yeah, right. Like I said, as the 60s progress and films start pushing boundaries and stuff like films like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and stuff like that, that have Sidney Poitier, you know, a black man who's dating a, a white woman in the right. 1960s, super fucking controversial. Yep. But uh, nobody's there to tell him they can't do it, you know. And right. in uh, the heat of the night, he did the same thing, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, and then um, what ends up happening is, is we start, we you know, like we talked in our anti-hero show, you know, some some of the, the violence starts kicking up in around 1968. Right. Exactly. And so in 1968, essentially. We, we, we get rid of the PCA right. altogether because it's not doing anything. And what happens is the MPAA uh, puts in the rating system. And like we all know and love. But we don't know it like it was back in 1968, right? Right. Exactly. So in 1968, you, you had G, just like we right. have today. We don't general see many audiences. G, yeah, general yeah. audiences. And, and then the next rating up is M, you know, suggested for mature audiences, uh, parental discretion advised, right? Right. 
so that's rated M. And then right. R, like we know today, but it's restricted persons under 16 not right. admitted without adult or guardian, right? And then there is X, where persons under 16 not admitted, right? So that's wild, right? That's a little young. <laughs> right. But they right. can go out and probably buy a beer and uh, yeah that's get true married. right because the drinking age was 18 back then right. yeah that's probably why it was so low back then right yeah but but you know as we roll into the 70s you know right. and, and things change a little bit with the mpaa they want to uh they, they instead of calling uh the middle one rated m right they change it to GP for general audiences, parental guidance suggested, right? <laughs> right. That's, a, and then, that's confusing. Yeah, it is. And, and then um, they bump up the 16 and the rated <laughs> R to 17. R and X. R and X. That's, you got to be 17 now. That's hilarious to me because they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 16's way too young. You <laughs> age a year and come back and see us and then we'll show you some titties. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's in 1970, but then in 72, for whatever reason, they think, well, GP sounds stupid, so we'll just Let's change that. that around. Yeah, we'll make that PG. So now <laughs> that sounds more familiar, right? So they basically do a whole Willy Wonka there. Strike that. <laughs> reverse, reverse it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, we, that kind of holds for a long time. And I, yeah. this is this is when I'm a little kid, you know, because I was born in 72. And, right. uh, um the rating system stays the same mm -hmm. all the way until 1984, and uh, who does it? Who, who makes them change it? <laughs> yeah, the the uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, <laughs> right. I guess, uh, and Gremlins. So yep. there's a couple Spielberg movies. Yep, uh, they feel like. Um, I guess maybe the MPA feels like, well, you know, this is a little too much for PG. Right. As far as the violence goes, you know, the dude's ripping the heart out of Hearts the guy's chest. And and gremlins are yeah. killing people left and killing right. Killing people and, and right. Putting but them they, in blenders. and. But, the, but, but it's also not Friday the 13th gory, right. you know. So right. we should come up with a new system or a new rating. And that's when PG-13 is introduced in, right. in, in 1984. And it's because of gremlins and temple of doom <laughs> good old steven spielberg trying to fuck up america's youth <laughs> <laughs> yeah so obviously that that basically stands for pg-13 is parents are strongly cautioned to give special guidance for attendance of children under 13 right but it's not the end of it folks no. the, t the rating systems keep changing they're just like what does this x mean why yeah. why why does it say x and I kind of remember this, too, as a kid. Yeah, uh, I did, too. I remember seeing my first one of these, actually. Yeah, X-rated movies, right? Yeah. Well, when you're in the, in the 80s, X-rated right. is basically, in the pop culture, it's synonymous with porn. Porn. Right. right. Like, with full-on, you know, cock yep. and balls and <laughs> vaginas and, you know, right. or, and anal sex and all right. of it. You know what I mean? So what, whatever you please, whatever you please, that's <laughs> what you think. Right. But that's not what it was intended for. Right. What it's intended for is movies that are like risque as fuck. And it could right. be like super hyper violent as well. Right. Could be rated X. But mm -hmm. the culture of our, Amer you know, our American culture basically started just associating X with porn and, and not that other movie. So that when an extremely violent rated X movie come out, people would they would just get no press or play because you just assume that porn. Right. 
So th those types of filmmakers kind of pushed the MPAA to come up with a, a separate rating so that it wouldn't be seen as, as straight Porn. up pornography right. with, with uh, penetration and all that stuff. Right. right. So then it was uh, 1990 that yep. they introduced NC-17. And that year even, I remember seeing, sneaking into a movie called Henry and June. Right. That was the first one. That was the first NC, yeah. Fred Ward, right. Uma Thurman, and every everything in it. I snuck into it because I thought, oh man, I'm gonna see a lot of cool. And there was nudity in it, but it was more about like disturbing images and violence, just right. stuff that you were just talking about and stuff. Right, so. right. It was a massive letdown. <laughs> the, the, the breakdown is uh, NC-17, no children under 17 admitted, right? Right. So we get even more conservative as time goes on. Six years later, in 1996, they decide, well, let's make it 18 instead of 17. Right. But instead of calling it NC-18, they just basically changed the wording from no children under 17 admitted to no one 17 and under admitted. So now... Right. You know, you have to be 18 or over to see an NC-17 movie from 96 onward. Right. Yeah. And th that brings us to today, basically, which is, you know, we have G, PG, PG-13, R, and uh, NC-17 are right. the ratings of today. Right. And... And the interesting thing about what we're talking about now... And porn is free on the internet, so they right. don't even bother you can rating Google it anything anymore. you want and <laughs> yeah. have at it. Yeah. But, so these ratings still stand, of course. You go, you go out right now to a cinema and you pick a movie to see, and you'll see one of these categories. Not NC-17, right. but there's hardly any NC-17. The reason for that is, I think, is because streaming is so accessible now. So mm -hmm. Netflix can show you something and put a... Uh, slap an M on it and say mature mm -hmm. and you know have yeah, at it have you at can, it yep so because you know Netflix shows foreign films and all of these independent films and stuff like that yeah, and so you right. can see everything that you would see if you google <laughs> a penis or a vagina or <laughs> something right. like that is on Netflix under M so NC-17 I think has gone the way of uh, the dodo as they used to say <laughs> right right So, that's our story on the whole thing. I think in conclusion, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we mentioned a few movies. Uh, we'll go through the list again real quick. Uh, uh, Guilty by Suspension, which isn't that great, but right. if you want to watch it, go ahead. Uh, right. Citizen Cone, which is, you know, TV low movie. quality. It's Yeah, it's a TV movie, low quality, but it does tell the story and, you know, gets you angry if you want to. Right, yeah. Good performances, well casted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then we also had Trumbo with Trumbo. Brian. I I think a really great movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get it's one of those movies that it's about history, and they smudge a few things here and there to make sure that the story flows yeah. like it should and entertainingly and all of that stuff. But still, right. great performances, really good for the most part. When they are telling the truth, it's it's kind of like wow, this really this shit really happened. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, good night and good luck, you know, which is uh, has Clooney and RDJ and uh, David Stratham. And uh, yep. it also stars Senator Joe McCarthy as himself because uh, they <laughs> use stock footage of, of uh, Joe McCarthy making, you know, talking to the camera uh, right. back in 1950s. You yeah. Know. So 
if you want to say the actor who portrays Joe McCarthy is over the top and terrible, <laughs> guess uh, what? Guess what? <laughs> That's the real guy. <laughs> so he's not acting. That's just who he was. He was acting then <laughs> in right. 1950 as a jerk off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> one more we didn't talk about uh, during the show. Right. Uh, but we'll bring up now because it is invo- it does involve uh, the blacklist. And we can't go a show without mentioning this director, apparently. Yeah, he's our favorite. <laughs> it's is, contractually uh, obligated to mention him <laughs> in every show. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the movie Mank starring uh, Gary Oldman playing Herman Mankiewicz, who is uh, who has been blacklisted, but Orson Welles mm-hmm. uh, wants him, needs him mm-hmm. to uh, secretly write uh, Citizen Kane. Right. Both men have a very politically fueled agenda, one to right. make the movie, Orson Welles, and one to write the movie, Mink. So it's a right. great film. Right. And and it's all directed by, as we were we were alluding to, it's directed <laughs> by our favorite guy, David Fincher. David it's Fincher. a it's a Netflix release, it's on Netflix, it's it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. It's it's really good. Beautiful uh, movie. And and, and yeah, it, you know, it's not about the blacklist, but it deals no. with the time you know the time period yeah and yeah. basically him going against william he knew william randolph hearst personally that right. was the subject of of citizen kane wink and, wink. Uh, <laughs> wink wink right and uh you know and and uh, louis b mayer who was mm-hmm. one of the guys who was very outspoken uh anti-communist MGM. and yeah mgm he's an anti-communist during the blacklist and said a lot of stupid shit Right. You know, he's a but big he's a super, too. <laughs> yeah, he's a big dumbass, but he's a super fucking powerful guy. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. So, but that brings me up to the, to what I was going to say is, you know, uh, when we were researching all this, I thought about, uh, you know, and watching some of these movies again. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about uh, that term that's used today by the right, by Fox News and all that stuff about the uh, Hollywood liberal elite, you know, how they basically... I feel like what probably happened was, um, in the long run, Hollywood won the battle of the blacklist, you know, mm-hmm. and the conservatives lost, you know. Right. So, I feel like the, you know, there's there's think tanks and there's there's yeah. uh, propagandists and all this stuff that that work really hard to reinforce the right and their message, and I feel like. Coining that term, Hollywood liberal elite, was a way of, of keeping them from winning that battle again, and a way to, to uh, a tool for them to, you know, and use it, a, a, a linguistic tool to be able to um, decredit and devalue the opinions and perspective that's coming out of Hollywood, which is typically leans left, you know, the opposite right. side of them, and uh, is pro intellectual, plural art, and all of that, and. Um, They've used that buzzword in a way to kind of, um, for for those who want to listen, kind of uh, devalue and and d- discredit the, the right. uh, Hollywood uh, from being able to influence the uh, the populace. Of course, and I think yeah, yeah. just to a lot of success. Yeah, yeah, and it's just basically that they, you know they definitely like to choose buzzwords to uh, weaponize uh, language against the left in that way you know what of i course. mean and they, and they uh, you know they just repeat it over and over again these certain buzzwords on say fox news or uh rush limbaugh it's almost like they're all <laughs> there's like a uh, 
a pamphlet that goes out to all the conservative <laughs> outlets. These are the words of the week. Start using right. these words and use them as much times as you can. And then it gets into the vernacular. Right. And then, I'll, you know, yeah. things like libtard and, 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 and stuff like that <laughs> right. become popularized. Right. Yeah, and it's, so it's definitely one of those things is like everyone check their email and make sure you got the memo. These are the words you need <laughs> yeah, to use. Yeah, these are the words you're going to. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunately... You know, it comes from the right, and remember what we were talking about, you know, the extreme right end is fascism, and you think of Joseph Goebbels in Germany, who, whose job was to create art pieces that were propaganda to basically enforce uh, uh, the Third Reich's mission into right. the populace, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I would call that Fox News today. <laughs> right, right, and those those buzzwords as you're talking about that, like, can be used by everyone, and and unfortunately, they're also a huge part of the internet, yeah, and social yeah. media, and the yeah, hashtags, every, and all of that stuff. Everybody has a voice. Everyone yeah. has that voice and can use it and and repeat it, and and now it can trend. This right. hashtag can trend of this particular word, and it becomes a big thing. So much so that these hashtags, these buzzwords, become so big that then the news companies start picking them up and yeah. talking about them that way. So they get, it's one thing feeding into another and, and mm -hmm. just begat, begat. Yeah, begat, <laughs> begat. I don't get none of it. Right. And, you know, uh, we're, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like feeding into this loss of control that we have, you know. Right. Right. And uh, it's and scary. I think I think one of the most fascinating things, as you've mentioned and alluded to all through the show, is talking mm -hmm. about how history repeats itself. Because no matter which way you lean in this particular conversation that we've had so far, you can't help but notice, you know, whether you're right or left, how history... As I said, you go all the way back to the witch hunts in yeah, <laughs> Salem, right. and you know, yeah. and, and one person has enough power to accuse this person, and then it becomes a bigger thing and a bigger thing. No matter who whose side you're on, history just because of humanity just keeps repeating itself over right. and over because power and you know, all yeah. money and money and greed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's powerful stuff it's powerful stuff it's it's continually perpetuating stuff through history that completely yeah. is cyclical and it happens over and over again and it's scary yeah it is it's it's really scary stuff and you can kind of see like whatever you whatever side you're afraid of or who's doing this or taking this away from me or i can't talk about this anymore or i can't do this with my own body or whatever that thing is for mm -hmm. you whoever's listening today imagine if you take that fear that you have of that one thing and you go back and talk to any of these times that we were talking about in this mm -hmm. show during the blacklist if you're a writer and your your words that you write down on paper whether you have hidden meanings about that putting it in a screenplay or not right. if people want to read something into your work they're gonna and all they have to do is point the finger at you mm -hmm. and that's scary that's a yeah. scary thing yeah and you know the the scary thing is is it, it you it's almost like it's happening everything's happening so fast in this modern world with the internet yeah. and, and the, all that stuff it, it's almost like we i can see the country fracturing into yeah. oblivion you know what i yeah. mean so hopefully that doesn't happen we don't know yeah by the time know. this episode comes out we will probably all be dead <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, anyway, we're gonna, uh, 
draw this one to a close. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I definitely uh, uh, definitely go out and watch Good Night, Good Luck or yeah. uh, Trumbo, those two. Yeah. And, and Mank. You know, like yeah. I said, Mank, Mank is loosely about the blacklist. Right. But... It's happening here and there in the movie. So, anyway, um, on that note, I'm going to uh, press the button and end this fucking transmission, yo. Okay. Well, and you then. can't censor me from saying fucking yo. Oh, can't I? Oh. We are ending our transmission.